Um, all right, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We've just finished up a, a, a series in the book of Hebrews, and if you want to catch up on those, but we talked about just having faith in the wilderness and sometimes difficult times, and that's what the book of Hebrews is all about, and the precious faith that we have in Christ. And so there's some really good messages in there. If you uh, want to go back and catch those, I encourage you to do that. You can find those on the Loop Bulletin or just on our YouTube channel if you look at Radiant Springs Church. Uh, so we welcome you. Those that are our guests this morning, we welcome you here today. This morning we are going to focus on Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as I was thinking about Friend Day and we were kind of focusing on families and friends, um, this kind of was our focus and the Discovery Club's kids had been inviting a lot of their families um, and so the passage that I kind of landed on was Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9, all right? And it is part of a, what is called the Shema. Anybody heard of the Shema before? All right? Nobody. Okay. Probably because maybe you aren't Jewish, but if you were, if you were, a, if you were a Jewish person, uh, you would be very familiar with the Shema. It is something that they recite, a good Jewish person will recite it three times a day, all right? And it's comprised of this passage in Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 through 9, but also it includes um, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, 13 through 21, and Numbers 15, 37 through 41. All right. Um, but just a little bit of background leading up to this, this passage. If you know a little bit about the history of Israel, I'm just going to do it real close in a kind of a nutshell. The father of Israel is... Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had, fa- you remember that? Okay. All right. Yeah, you want me to do the actions too, right? You want me to do the actions? There's a lot of actions that go with that, all right? All right. So Abraham, God calls Abraham. He settles in what is now modern day Israel. Um, there he would raise his family. Um, he, he has two sons. He has Ishmael and then he has Hagar, uh, through Hagar, and then Isaac. Isaac was the promised son, right, that uh, God would use uh, to further on what was now modern-day Israel. You have then Abraham, Isaac. Isaac would have Jacob. Jacob would give birth to many sons. Joseph would be one of those. Joseph is the one that's betrayed. He's sold to Egypt, ends down in Egypt, but God sends him ahead because now famine hits the land of Israel. And so now Jacob and the whole family end up in Egypt to find refuge during the time of famine. And guess who was leading the, the food feeding plan during that time? It was Joseph. God had raised him up. He was second in command of all Egypt. And so instead of just being there until the famine ended, they would be there 10 years, 20 years, 100 years. Am I close? 400 years. Rebecca, you nailed it. Man, I know you're listening, man. All right, 400 years they would be there until Moses, God would raise up Moses. He hears the cries of the people. We have the plagues, you know, and if you watch the Ten Commandments on TV, okay, that happens then. God leads them out through the Red Sea. They go through the wilderness. They get to the promised land in pretty much record time, but then um, the spies go in, scout it out, and then they don't have faith. Only two of them, Caleb and Joshua, have faith that they can go in. And so God says, because you don't have faith, you're going to wander in this wilderness until this generation dies off. So 40 years they would wander in the wilderness before God would bring them into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. All right? 
So it's as they come into what is the promised land, modern day Israel, okay, roughly, okay, as they would come into that, God gives them some instructions of how they can prosper and be blessed and settle in the land that God had given them. All right, and so the Shema, the passage that we have here uh, that we'll be looking at today is part of that. And some instructions to be under the blessing of favor of God. How many want to be under the blessing of favor of God? I sure do, right? Man, there's some days that it's kind of like, man, if God wasn't on my side, it's kind of like, ooh, kind of a difficult day, right? And, um, but to know that God is going with us and uh, his blessing and favor is there is a powerful thing. So let's bow our heads in prayer and then we're going to dive into this passage together today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the living, powerful word of God that is able to shape and mold us, transform us, Lord God. And so, Lord, we pray that, it would, uh, that you would come by your Holy Spirit and speak to us today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy, Old Testament, chapter 6, 1 through 9. These are the commandments, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. So the first five books of what is our Bible, the Pentateuch, was written by Moses. He's the one that's given credit for those. Verse 2, so that you, your children, their children, and them after them may fear the Lord. And so when we talk about fear the Lord, it means to have a reverence for God, but also to follow God. So much like in a father situation, you, there's a friendship there, but there's also respect for who that person is, okay? So in the Old Testament, when they use that word fear, it doesn't mean that you're, you're running in fear. It's more that that respect, worship, and honor, honor there, okay? That they may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you so that you may enjoy a long life. Wow, long life. Here, Israel, and this is where the Shema begins. Be care- well, it actually begins in verse 4. And be careful to obey, that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. That's just a metaphor talking about um, that it was a very prosperous land, just as the Lord your God and ancestors promised you. Verse 4, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. In other words, take a stamp and just stamp it on their forehead. Is that what he means? I don't think so. All right. Talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk alone on the road, when you lie down or when, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Okay, you all got bracelets on, right? Bind them on your foreheads. So the Jewish people literally do this, folks. They literally do these, okay? Phylacteries, if you want a good word. All right, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So that is part of the Shema, the first part of the Shema. Why do we call it the Shema? Well, we call it the Shema because it is the Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel. So the Hebrew word is Shema, all right? And so that is where we get uh, that phrase. Um, the Shema includes both doctrine, the Lord is one, so we got some doctrine there, but it also includes practice. Hey, talk about when you go, when you get up, when you rise, when you go to, to the Husker game or the basketball game, wherever you go, talk about the Lord. He is to be on your lips and in your life. 
And so when we, as we talk about growing in faith together, what can we learn from the Shema? That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. There's three things that I want to pull out of there. First of all, each person must make a declaration of faith in God. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Each person must make a declaration of faith in God. And it begins with, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, that your God is one God. So Shema comes from that first word, hear. So here, all right, is more than just, hey, hear what I'm saying. It also means to respond to God, to be in relationship with God. In the Old Testament times, there were many gods, okay, in their culture. There was Baal was a big one. You'll see that as you read through the Old Testament. Baal was one of them. In fact, that's what the Israelites, they barely get out of Egypt, cross the Red Sea, and they make the golden calf, Okay, it was a Baal. It was a fertility god. So, and by fertility, it means that, hey, if we make sacrifices to these gods, maybe they'll bless our crops. Maybe they'll bless our livestock. Maybe they'll give us a big family. Okay, That's what we mean by that. So God's favor and blessing. The things that God had promised to do for them as well, right? Right? We just read that. And so their gods would be made of wood, metal, stone, and they would set them up. Okay, and, and so that would be a big temptation for the people of Israel, especially when they went into the promised land because the people that they had uprooted and pushed out and defeated had embraced that. The Philistines, the Moabites and all them, they embraced these gods of Baal and Asherah and other gods. Some even involved child sacrifice. You know, in our day and age, we may think, you know what? There is no, we don't have other gods. People don't worship Made gods made of metal and wood and stone that they do. Have you been to a Chinese restaurant late, lately and saw Mr. Buddha sitting there? Did you know Hinduism, Buddhism is one of the fastest growing religions in our nation? Did you know that? And it's woven into a lot of things that you may not even realize into yoga. And I don't want to steal away your joy for yoga because there are some very good things there as far as health-wise and stretching and strength training and stuff like that. But woven into there is the philosophy of Buddhism, right? It is very much part of our fabric. So there is other gods in our, in our day and age. If Hinduism believes in a lot of gods, they're not just uh, monotheistic. There's a lot of gods still in our day and age. But what the Shema states is that there's one real and living God. And when it says here, it is saying more than just know that there is one God, it's to make him the Lord of your life and make that declaration. And so when they would recite that, they're saying, hey, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's I'm declaring that he is my Lord and my Savior. It is a choice to follow him. I will say that God will never force himself or force you to serve him. I say that tongue in cheek because if you've come to know Christ and know Him as your Lord and your Savior, if you go look back, you'll see that God was pursuing you, wasn't He? Right? Maybe it was a family member that was praying for you. Maybe it was a friend or a neighbor. Maybe you're here today because of somebody that invited you. But God was pursuing you, and He always has been. God, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God is pursuing us, and He opened up the door for us to pursue Him. Without His grace and His mercy, none of us could approach God and have access to Him. It's through the cross. The Shema begins with that declaration that there's one God, 
but it's anticipating that we make him the Lord of our life. It's more than a statement we say, it's a truth that we live. There is one true God that loves you and is pursuing you. He died on the cross for your sins so that your sins could be forgiven and that you can have the hope of heaven. God was not going to force people to say the Shema, and he will not force you to follow him. But I'll say that God can be pretty persuasive, and he is pursuing you. And if you want the hope of heaven, you want the blessing of God upon your life, we all must make that decision to follow him. I can't make it for you. I had to make my own decision. It was age five when I made that decision, pretty young. But research shows that it's people under age of 12. If you make that decision for Christ, you stay with it. It's harder to find Christ if you're older than 12. Did you know that? It's not that you can't, but it's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder. Make that decision to follow Christ. Secondly, in the Shema, we learn that true worship flows from the heart. You know, often when people talk about, oh, you have a relationship with God or you go to church, they say, oh, you're religious, right? Right? You ever had somebody say that about you? Oh, you're religious. Yeah, because you go to church on Sunday or something like that, right? But religion is a term, it, it is used in our culture, but it, it talks more about duty and more about legalism. It doesn't talk about relationship, right? You're religious because you do this, you do that, and you don't maybe do this or that, right? You know what? Uh, yes, Christians may be described as religious, but even more religious would be a Muslim believer. To me, they're much more devout in their faith and their practices, much more sometimes than us Christians. Uh, the same would be s- the, for Buddhists. Uh, there are many religions in the world where people are very religious, but religion will not get you to heaven. It won't. And religion often seems cold in my mind because it is duty, it's legalism, it's you do these things and that is religion. But that's not what God is calling them to do, is He? He's not calling them to religion. He's calling them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and strength. Heart, soul, and strength. What does that mean? It speaks to the whole person that we are to follow God with all that we have. Yeah, it does involve disciplines and it does make decisions that I, I get myself out of bed to maybe come to church on Sunday or I, I do things to get my kids to Wednesday night and, and things like that or I take time in the mornings to read my Bible. There is some discipline in that, but it doesn't flow out of duty as much as it should flow out of our heart. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus would, would, would repeat this, Matthew chapter 22 37 through 40, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other law and the prophets, all the other regulations are fulfilled in those two rules. How many would like that if that's all we had to operate with in our country today? You didn't have handbooks and rules. Just two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Done. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, yeah. But that's what Jesus said. You know what? You got all this first part. The first five books of your Bible was the law, what they were supposed to live off of. And Jesus says, you know what? You can fulfill all that just by two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
pretty cool. When we talk about heart, heart speaks of passion, doesn't it? It speaks of passion. A good marriage is more than just duty, right? It's more than just two people living under the same house. You know, one does the dishes, one vacuums the floor, one, you know, does the laundry, right? Makes the meals, mows the yard. It's more than just duty, isn't it? Isn't it? (laughs) I need some amens here. (laughs) Right? There has to be a spark. There has to be some romance there, right? Now, if we were to take an honest survey here, and you know, husbands and wives, why do we do some of the things we do? Well, some of the things we do because we want to be a good spouse, right? There's some duty involved. There's commitment, obviously. But there's things that we do just because we love that person, right? It flows out of our heart. You know, when people are in love, you know, and they're dating, it's kind of like, Man, they just go all out, right? That is what we see within to love the Lord your God with all your heart. If it is just a matter of religion and duty and legalism, that's dead. And that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to be in relationship with Him, to love Him with all of our heart. And Chris, I don't have this in there, but Romans 12 says, in view of God's mercy, right? 12.1, in view of God's mercy, His grace and His compassion, Offer our lives to Him as a gift to Him, as a sacrifice. That is your act of worship, he says. So in my mind, religion is a cold world, cold word. And we can be very religious and disciplined about our beliefs, but we must love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. It speaks of passion, right? If a marriage doesn't have passion, it's, it's, it's a dead marriage in my mind. And there's definitely times and seasons where the commitment is important, just as in our Christian walk. But there has to be that spark in that relationship with God. Amen? Number three, the Shema teaches us one more thing, that we grow in community, that we grow in community. Faith is an individual decision, but we grow in community. God has, lone rangers don't exist in God's economy and believers in Christ. It doesn't work. Now, if you are in prison and in jail, you know, taken in in some countries where people have been in prison for their faith, you may have to live that out. But that is not God's plan. And that is not God's will. He called us to be in community. We are not to live out our faith alone. It is to be passed down from generation to generation, right? Um, As father and mothers to pass it on to your children and from their children to the grandchildren. Um. And so it's talking about our relationship with God and our love for Him. In most cases, you don't have to tell your children. So I'm going to use the family situation here. You don't have to tell your children what you're passionate about. They pick it up just by what you do, don't they? And I don't, in most cases, I can tell what you guys are all passionate about just by talking with you, maybe just for a little bit. Or if I walk into your home, I can tell what you, a lot of times, you know, by the stuff that's on the wall. I tell, oh, they like the Huskers, or they like soccer, or they like football, or they, they're artsy, right? I, I can tell, you know. We can tell what people are passionate about by the clothes that they wear, what they buy at the store, how they spend their money, all right? If you look at their checkbook, we don't use checkbooks, so we look at their credit card statement. You can tell what people are passionate about, right? How they spend their time. 
In our first trip to Nebraska, it was back in April of 2005. He's saying, wow, how do you remember that? Well, it was our first trip to Nebraska. Um, we were actually coming to check things out here about the church plant here in Crete, Nebraska, so over 17 years ago. And so we came on a Friday night, got in late, stayed at what was a Motel 6 up on North 27th. I don't think it's there. Maybe it's a Microtel now, yep. Stayed there, tiny room. And we stayed there. We went for breakfast on Saturday morning. And we went to Cracker Barrel. And it's kind of like, man, everybody has Husker T-shirts on and hats on. And they're sitting down at the tables, and grandmas have Husker socks on. It's kind of like, what in the world is going on today? What was going on that day? It was red-white game, wasn't it? I was on a Saturday. Red-white game is kind of like, well, we, we learned very quickly that Nebraskans like their Huskers, right? At least they used to, right? I think they still do, but <laughs> all right. Um, but they didn't have to tell us that in words. We could just see it by their behavior that day. We could see it by their behavior, what was important to them. You know what? I'm speaking maybe more to parents here, but in adults, your children can see what's important in your life by how you live your life, by your values. Yes, by the words that you say, but even more important, by your actions, because your actions will speak louder than your words. What you watch on TV, what you talk about when you're at the dinner table, where you go from place to place, they pick up on those things. And your actions speak louder than your words. That can be a scary thing, but it also can be a powerful thing, folks. It can be a very powerful thing. The things that you want to pass on to the gener next generation. Our kids are, are grown. They're young adults. Two are married. Uh, one is, is, uh, is open to it. Um, and, and, you know, when they're in college, they c you know, the, when they leave, especially when they leave the home to go to college, it's kind of like, you know, mom and dad know nothing, right? Especially in high school. Mom and dad know nothing. All right. Okay. So if, if <laughs> you did that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Mom and dad know nothing. And then all of a sudden they get into college and, and then they graduate from college, and it's kind of like, okay, hey, mom, dad, what do you think about this? What do you, how would you do this? Then they call you up. Then it's kind of like something changes and happens. Mom and dad are definitely know what they're doing a little bit more. But also, I learn from them. You know, I call up our son and say, okay, now I got a new phone. Should I upgrade my phone and all this? So there's reverse mentoring going on there, all right? But I don't know where I was going with all this. But what's interesting is when they leave the house, they begin to explore their own beliefs and their own faith. And sometimes they wander a little bit. But I believe if you've done your job, and even those values are there, that they find their way back. They'll find their way to the back. Um, and research will even show that. Um, but there again, I think it has to be more than words. It's how we live our life. Your faith is often better caught than it is taught. It is often better caught than taught. In other words, they're watching how you live your life. And I would say the same is true of your neighbors. 
I would see, you know, I got my neighbor here, so I have to be careful, right? All right. Um, no, but your neighbors and your friends, they know what is important to you, whether it's your faith or, or hobbies or whatever. They know what's important. You don't have to tell them. They, just by hanging out with you, they know what's important in your life. There's hobbies that I enjoy, all right? But I pray that if people hang out with me, they also see that my faith is important to me and my relationship with Christ. Amen? Hebrews chapter 10, we covered this a couple weeks ago when we were going through Hebrews. is verse uh, 23 through 25 of chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. In other words, as the body of Christ, it is our job to encourage one another and even maybe, I don't know if I'd say get in your face, but we have an obligation to encourage one another and even to stimulate each other is kind of the word here. Right, Gary? Spurs kind of do that, right? Yeah, it's kind of like, get going, right? Howers, start bucking, right? Um, we are to encourage and challenge each other to be the body of Christ and the people of God. We all get, some, get in ruts at times, and we need other people to encourage us and to sometimes even challenge us be what the people that God has called us to be. So let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in their habit of doing. Okay? But encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Again, he talks about that encouragement, how important that is. God has not called us to live out our Christian faith in seclusion. Quite the opposite. At home, at work, in our community, we are to be living out our faith by what we say and by what we do. I'm going to have the musicians come. Both my parents um, came out of alcoholic backgrounds. And if you've been at the church, you've seen my parents on occasion. They were here a couple weeks ago. Some of you have known my parents maybe even a little bit more. Uh, maybe what you don't know is that they came out of an alcoholic background. So by age 12, my dad was without his father or his mother. He was raised by other family members. Um, his his mother was killed. His his dad would finish out his years in prison until um, he was um, pardoned and was able to die in a hospital because he had cancer. My mom was had an alcoholic father as well, and um, the reason why she ended up was in church was because there was a a pastor there. He would l- be later be my superintendent in North Dakota. Uh, he was a pastor, and he pastored, but he also drove fuel trucks to the farms. And as, as he drove fuel truck to the farms, that's where he'd connect with families. And, and on Sunday mornings, he would swing by and take my mom and sister and brother, the youngest three, he would take them. I must be running long today. Adam, they changed him up today. All right. Um, but this pastor would pick them up and bring them to church on Sunday mornings. Uh, later, all three of them, the younger ones, the older ones didn't have that. And so they went off and their lives were kind of not the best. But the younger three, they got into church. Um, all three of them ended up going to Bible college for a year or two or three, including my mom. Um, and so then they had a f- their family. You know, they, they came out of dysfunctional families, right? 
and now they want to have a Christian home and family. What does that look like when you didn't have it modeled for you, right? And, and I'm saying this because maybe I don't know where you've come from or where God has brought you. And maybe it was less than perfect. Maybe it was a perfect situation. But if it wasn't, this is the first time for you to say, okay, I want a godly family, but what does that look like? Because it wasn't modeled for me. And so godly people within my parents' life showed them. And I just remember that even though my folks came out of a dysfunctional background, they made sure that we were in church on a Sunday morning. We didn't miss it. And we were there on Sunday nights too because the churches did Sunday nights then. and um, We still wove in football on Sunday afternoon and Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom at 5 o'clock. And then we went to church. Okay. Um, Wednesday nights. We took time, my mom would always take time, more so my mom than my dad, but to have prayer with us and scripture before we went off to school. Even in the teenage years where maybe I kind of thought, oh, this is stupid. She did. Um, They modeled prayer. And even just probably there was things that weren't said that I caught about as they would share their faith with people, as we'd be out traveling or something, they'd share their faith and I'd go hide under the table But they lived out their faith. And our faith is often better caught than taught. And even if we come from a background that is not perfect, I believe that God can raise up godly families and healthy families that glorify Him. Amen? That's why we're here as a church. We play a role. Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, play a role, hopefully, in your spiritual life. But it has to happen out there in your homes and families too. Whether you're a family of one, family of six, eight, ten. It has to happen out there because if it doesn't happen out there, it's not going to be passed on to the next generation. Amen? Amen. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. And I want you to close your eyes. But if you do not know Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I'm going to encourage you to pray with us. I'm encouraging everybody to pray, but if you don't know Christ or you just don't know if you have the hope of heaven, if you were to die today at this moment, you don't know if you'd go to heaven or not. You don't know if your sins are forgiven and if you have the peace of God in your heart. And if that's you, I'm going to encourage you to pray with us, a prayer of salvation. I believe if you mean it with all your heart, you mean it, that God honors that. And you begin the journey to follow Christ. So I'm going to encourage us to all pray that this morning. So would you join me this morning saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. And Father, I just pray your hand upon each one here, Lord. And I ask a a special blessing upon our homes and our families. Lord God, may they be a place that glorifies you, that honors you. Lord God, and I know many times we don't know what it looks like to do that. Maybe it wasn't taught us, it wasn't modeled for us. Lord God, place people in our lives that can help communicate that so that we can begin some new traditions, begin some new practices and beliefs within our family 
that raise up healthy families and people that love God with all their heart, their soul, and their mind. Lord God, we ask this in your name.